Welcome back for part two of our episode tonight. We're here to talk about biographies of living persons, and there's a request for comment on new users. Biographies of living persons first. Would someone like to uh, introduce the issue? The basic idea is, I mean, there have been various discussions on DLPs, defaulting delete, and articles for deletion discussions. There was, an, there was a whole huge discussion that was had on it back in, I think it was sometime either last month or in October. As it was in October. There was a huge discussion on whether or not biographies, uh, when they're brought to AFD, should automatically default to delete if there is no consensus found. My point of view on this issue is that we don't need to necessarily default to delete on every um, no consensus found AFD for BLPs. What we need to do is we need to fundamentally change the way we look at these discussions. Not just to a deletionist or an inclusionist point of view, but to a view to where we say, okay, an amend comes across this discussion, they need to say, well, I'm looking for keep votes to be much more relevant and strong than delete votes for me to keep this. this. It needs to be an inclusion versus a deletion. That really scares a lot of people whenever I have brought this up. But to me, it would be fundamental change that would, that would be a help to the project. It would, it would be a help to maintain the BLPs and make sure that we don't have uh, liable content. So if I understand you correctly, you would a shift towards an articles for retention rather than articles for deletion. Yes, on but I, I, but yes, I would. And but I, in some ways, fear actually calling it that, because then you have a lot of people that are actually that would have well-founded fears that they would just be closed just because an administrator is a deletionist or something like that. This is uh, for anyone who's listening this hour and listen to the. Last hour, we should probably all introduce ourselves again. I'm New York Brad, administrator and an arbitrator on the English Wikipedia, and I've been thinking about these issues, these BLP-related issues, for a long time, including in a talk I gave a couple of months ago, to which there's a link somewhere on my, on my user page. Ask whether BLP, BLP, Biography of Living Persons, articles that are disputed should default to delete rather than to keep, I think it's helpful to step back a little bit and ask yourself what the usual rule is for a no consensus AFD and why one might want to make it different in the case of a BLP article. The usual practice when there's no consensus on an AFD, and I'm not talking about one that just no one bothered to comment on, but one where there are reasonable arguments for keeping, reasonable arguments for deletion, the administrator who's closing the debate says there are reasonable arguments on both sides and the weight of opinion is more or less balanced. Therefore, there's no consensus using whatever definition one wants to use of that notoriously vague keyword consensus. And therefore, I'm going to leave well enough alone and just leave the article as is. Now, why is that an acceptable outcome? It's an acceptable outcome because in the ordinary course of an article that's not about a living person, you know, keeping it there may or may not add to the value of Wikipedia as an encyclopedia, but it's not necessarily hurting anyone to have the article there. If we have an article about some, you know, webcomic 
that it may or may not be out enough, you know, may or may not have enough hits to warrant keeping a book that's fairly obscure, some garage band. And we keep it, even though it's borderline in terms of notability. Maybe somebody's getting a plug for their comic or their band, but nobody's being really hurt. It's just deciding where on an arbitrary notability continuum something falls. And so the consensus is if there's, if there's a reasonable argument to be made that a fair number of people have made to keep the article, you know, you're going to hurt fewer people by or you're not going to hurt anyone by keeping the article. Now you extrapolate to BLP and the weight of the BLP. The BLP policy really has two prongs to it. One is that unsourced information, particularly unsourced negative information, doesn't belong in BLP articles. In a perfect world, everything would be sourced, but we certainly can't have unsourced negative information in a BLP article. It, it might be inaccurate. It might be controversial. It might be flatly wrong and libelous. And that information has to come out until sourcing can be provided if it can. And if that informa- sort of information pervades the article, then the article needs to be gone, uh, at least until somebody can write a better one. And when BL, the BLP policy was created, that was the essence of the policy. Now the BLP policy has expanded significantly as a result of a number of debates that occurred in 2007. Brian Peppers was one. The QZ Chinese kid debate was one. The Hornbeck Onby deletions, which were mine, were one. And this ultimately culminated in what was called the badly drawn Jeff arbitration case, where the community decided that certain information doesn't belong in the encyclopedia, even if one could make with a straight face a notability argument, and even if the information is undisputedly true. There's just a level of invasion of privacy where where the presence of the article can hurt somebody in a way that's out of proportion to its importance to the encyclopedia. And I don't want to get into examples because that's been debated endlessly elsewhere. So now we come to the question of, you know, do we put a thumb on the scales and say, in the case of a BLP article, do we default to delete where there's no consensus? And I would say, uh, whoever spoke earlier, and I didn't, who, was, who gave the introduction? Uh, that was me, Coffee. I'm a Wikipedia uh, administrator. Coffee's point that keep votes in BLP articles should be well justified is, is well taken. But to me, the question of whether I would close a borderline BLP to default to delete could depend on the, you know, what's the reason for the deletion? What's the reason deletion is being proposed? If you've got a perfectly legitimate, well-sourced, non-hurtful article on an individual, maybe written by the article, by you know the, the individual himself, no evidence that the individual has a problem with the article. I mean, let's say it's a, a minor league baseball player, and we have notability guidelines for ball players, and the person's not going to hit the majors till next year sometime. So right now he's under he you know not quite at the notability guideline. And somebody says, well, he was a star in college. And somebody says, no, he wasn't quite a star in college. And we go back and forth, and it's debatable. It's not yeah, necessarily um, like that's different from an article, a BLP article, where the question is, you know, is this a person who's been, you know, the subject of malicious slander on the Internet to the point that there's an article about the lawsuit the person brought to suppress the slander? You know, is having that article there going to help the person or hurt the person, I'd be much more likely to say default to delete in the case of an area where the argument is that the person, you know, is being hurt by the presence of the article than just that the article doesn't satisfy some 
borderline notability wrong. I hear this argument yeah. a lot, though, about whether an article hurts someone or an, art, an article helps someone. But the thing is, how are we ever going to know that? I mean, in the, of course, in the grand scheme of things, that... you know, we can sort of guess a week ahead, a month ahead, or whatever. And I feel like in some senses, that's a real distraction, that kind of argument, because you can't ever know. You can't predict the future about how an article is going to affect that someone's I... life. Look, you, you certainly can't know. That and actually I... segues in... Oh, sorry. I mean, I will I will plead guilty. I, I deleted an article about a, a, a young person who was kidnapped and, and mistreated by the kidnappers in a in a horrible way. And I said it's really not the least bit acceptable when, the, when this person's name is Googled for the rest of his life, the number one hit, uh, you know, unless he happens to do something notable as, a, as an adult, is going to be about how this person was kidnapped and mistreated and, and abused. And, you know, I deleted it and I thought I had, you know, improved the wiki and improved the world. And it turned out, and then I got an email saying that not only did this person not object to his story being publicized, but in fact, he had started a charitable foundation under his name for the victims of child abuse. So you don't always guess right. Nonetheless, one can certainly, can certainly try. And there are plenty of examples of people who are, you know, feel seriously wronged by having a Wikipedia article, some of whom clearly are notable and we're going to keep their article irrespective of their feelings. But, but just let me and respond, if, 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 if people listened to the earlier part of the this podcast, we're not trying, for example, to make those kinds of decisions when it, it comes to sexually explicit images or images that, have, you know, offend particular religious groups. In that instance, we're making no effort. Right here, we're making some huge effort to determine, you know, which articles are going to affect people and how they're going to affect people. And why are we making this big division between these kinds of content that, on the encyclopedia? That's a very good point, and that segues exactly into my, my point, if you don't mind my, my stepping in here. I think it's very simple. We don't try to decide for them. I don't try to decide for a parent what their kids should be seeing on Wikipedia, because I think that that's the parent's job. And on average, somebody who's going to be a BLP subject, most of the time, they're reasonably successful adults in their careers. I think that person is better qualified than I am to say whether their bio Wikipedia biography is something they want or not. They know things that, that I don't know, things that are not necessarily going to be all that obvious. One courtesy deletion that I nominated, it didn't look like it was anything harmful. It was a positive, basically two-event notability for a businessman who had also made the news for having proposed to his wife at a sporting event. You know, one of those, I think it was one of those big, it goes on, will you marry me on the scoreboard and that type of thing. And at first he was flattered that somebody had created an article about him. And then he started to realize he runs a business, it's a successful business. It's a service business, though. And when he's competing for new contracts, it's an attractive nuisance to his competitors. None of them had actually exploited it yet, but, you know, strategically, one of his competitors could have come into his biography, could have written something negative there. And at the moment where a potential client is Googling and making that decision, that could have hurt him. It could have hurt him to the point where he had to lay people off. Now, that certainly isn't going to be obvious to you or me in a dissolution discussion on a basically positive 
biography, but I really think that the individual who's the subject of that biography knows better than any of us what the actual impact is. And of course, they're the ones who have to bear the brunt of the impact of its uh, existence, positive or negative. Obviously, there are exceptions to that. Barack Obama, his biography is not going away, even if he doesn't like it. But I would say that for the people who are less famous than that, I, I've set a certain threshold, a lot of people know about that. I think that a generous deletion upon request policy would probably be the best route to go. And, and we do actually have that now. I mean, from what I understand, it's no, within I... either the deletion or the BLP policy because they brought it up on a DRV page that indeed it is somewhere located that it's been added, from what I understand. No. Well, I think, what, I think what's been... What what some people what some administrators are willing to do is consider the subject's views as a factor or as a tiebreaker. We certainly oh, yeah, don't yeah. Have, as, as in no consensus. Yes, a, that's right. That's right. We certainly don't have a deletion on on request policy, and yeah, that would probably. Yeah. Uh, I mean the whole yeah, area of BLP. I mean the whole area of BLP, and I don't want to you know repeat everything I said in my in my talk this summer, and I have to give that talk at Wikimania next year. But I mean in the area of BLP, we've been playing catch up almost since. The Siegenthaler incident brought this to everybody's attention. I mean, there are what two or three hundred OTRS volunteers right now. Now, if you had told Jimbo Wales and anybody else with whom he may or may not have co-founded the project in 2001 that Wikipedia would be the fifth largest website in the world and the number one Google hit on basically anybody who or any topic that was the subject of an article, but on the downside, we're going to have to have a complaint department of a couple of hundred people to deal with all the issues that come up. You know, somebody might have said, "Well, do we structure do we structure the project project a little bit differently?" One one thing that's been pointed out to me by OTRS people, and I I think we have several volunteers on here. Do we get more complaints from people who are the subjects of articles saying they want their articles deleted or changed? Or do we get more complaints from people whose articles were deleted or have been told they can't have an article wishing they had one? I have seen several from both, but I would I would like to say that it does vastly lean towards wanting something changed in a, in a topic about themselves. And are most or deleted or removed. And are most of the complaints you find that we received, you know, do you think most of the complaints have, have merit that they're pointing out, you know, errors in the articles or invasions of privacy, or is it just somebody would, did something? I would say about I would say about uh, sixty-five to seventy percent of them have actual good merit behind their requests. So that's a significant number of people who are, you know, complaining that that Wikipedia, you know, affects is affecting their lives in a negative way, whether it's their, you know, emotional well-being or whether it's, you know, something more tangible. So that is something to go back to the original question somebody asked about why we take DLP so seriously and why we are making an effort to, to clean it up a little bit. I think that's a, a very tangible explanation of why. But I want to make I, I want to repeat one other point I made in the in the earlier podcast as well, which is that Wikipedia is just a small slice of the internet. And one way that Wikipedia has changed the world, but that the internet has changed the world is that reputations, for better or worse, stick with people longer. If somebody does something that's newsworthy 
let's say they they made a mistake while they're young, and it catches some some news attention. Somebody on Wikipedia writes an article. Let's say we keep it, and that person, let's assume they have a relatively uncommon name. It's not John Smith. What that person did, unless you know the information may be true, you know, is going to follow them around for the rest of their life. Now, in the world of Google, in a way that 25 or 50 years ago it would not have. On the other hand, if what that person did makes page C21 of the New York Times on a slow news day, the, the New York Times has fairly high Google rank too. You know, that's going to be there forever. We live in a world where information is is permanent. We all, I mean, the, the line that we, we all live in the goldfish bowl now. Wikipedia is part of that, but we're not all of that. And a number of times where I've you know, deleted a BLP that I thought invaded somebody's privacy and, you know, unduly publicized a minor uh, incident or an incident where a person was, you know, taken advantage of and, and victimized. One of these internet meme things, for example, you know, I can press poof or an administrator can press poof and the Wikipedia article is gone. All the other coverage across the rest of the internet is still there. We could do our best to improve BLP. We could do our best to epitomize best practices for the rest of the internet if we if we strive to do it but you know this is not well, just a, a it's a question about problem. what kind of website we want to be right i mean it's we're yeah. not going to clean up blp on the entire internet it's not going to happen but you know well, it, it's a question about legitimizing what we do and one thing that's worth mentioning is that people generally see us for better or for worse as correct and and reliable source to go to if they want to look someone up for something or another. They may see the New York Times that way, but they don't see everything else on the internet as that. They'll look at it with some degree of skepticism. But we're the encyclopedia. We have to be right. And, of course, not for everyone, but for a large amount of people. Analytically, the interesting question, I think everybody agrees that you know incorrect information or unsourced information doesn't belong in biographical articles or ideally in any articles the question is you know how do we and we don't have time to talk about flagged revisions or semi-protecting blps you know how you keep that information out as opposed to playing catch up after the fact analytically the much more interesting questions and the much more difficult questions are about information that's true but may have an impact on the person by publicizing it that brings up an argument that someone had made on some DRV here recently. They were like, we need to, you know, they basically brought up the not censored clause where they were saying that if nothing's going to say something true about this person, we need to be the, the, the place saying the truth. Because if it's true, we need, to, we need to have it out there. And that's when the question comes, well, where do we draw the line between, okay, we're, this is the truth and... and well, this might actually affect this person in ways that it hasn't already. Go ahead. We were talking yeah. about complaints received from OTRS a couple of minutes ago, except the OTRS people are the ones who can find their article, see something wrong with it, and also then get to OTRS and email them, which is not an, in, an insignificant difficulty to, to pass all by itself. It's actually quite difficult to find the page and then contact OTRS in a manner that will get the uh, the offending information from your article removed. Most people won't even see their article for maybe months or years while the information is still in there that offends them. 
Oh, I, I would totally agree. If, if I, I may, totally if I may stay, step in, there was a lawsuit that got filed um, just very recently within the last couple of weeks about someone who was complaining that they were targeted by, shall we say, a wide-ranging attack that spanned a number of different websites to uh, allege a sexual relationship that was non-existent with a non-existent person. It had been going on for, for years. In fact, somebody at one of the critical sites found a warning I had given to that person about three years ago when I was a newly promoted administrator. And, and then somehow it had just slipped off of my radar. But there was another incident that arose, which I, I stuck with, of a similar, and if anything, arguably nastier situation of equal durability, where there was somebody out there in the world who just had it in for someone. And they had created a, an impersonation site, which claimed to be that person's real personal website. They had gone on to various fora claiming to be this person. And they had created an aura of self-published sources that were completely fake. And those sources were actually being, for a while, quoted within the Wikipedia biography of that person. It's a real problem when these things are persistent. And it's a small number of them that are persistent. But I think we need to realize that some of the stuff that happens is not just drive-by vandalism, is not just somebody getting something wrong, and is not going to go away in a week. Well, um, you mentioned... That um, sometimes things that appear to be sourced are actually completely fraudulent. Jorva, you mentioned the fact that you, we have a small number of these that are awful, and it, it's a wide-ranging like um, conspiracy, almost, to get them into to get falsehoods into the article. But not, as not a, a conspiracy. Right. It tends to be one individual who right. who goes off on a coordinated long-term campaign. We just don't want copycats. But we say it that way because each one of those can um, drain a huge number of resources. Yeah. Another issue is that right now we have 420,000 biographies of living uh, persons and of those, 52,000 are completely unsourced. And so I would say that's an even bigger issue than what you just brought up. I'm wondering, one thing is, how can we address that? And one thing I was thinking, and one thing that the BLP task force, which was set up by Carrie Bass to discuss what exactly what we're doing now, to discuss what we can do to solve the BLP problem, was perhaps to have some sort of timed like fraud where after say a week or a month of being tagged with this if the article didn't have sources no matter what shape it was in it was still going to be deleted well that and that so, that makes sense you know when you're dealing with articles of marginal you know marginal notability you know like anything else it could be taken extremes and i haven't looked at this article but about a year ago, somebody who was either very dedicated to BLB reform, BLP reform or was disruptively making a point, depending on how your perspective, decided to delete every statement in every uh, every BLP article that didn't have a, a source to it. So we started with the A's, and the first article he came to was Hank Aaron, who, for the non-Americans listening here, is a famous baseball player. And it said, Hank Aaron is in the Hall, Baseball Hall of Fame. No source, out it goes. Now, there's such a thing as a fact being, you know, what, what, you know, what do you source that? You can source, you know, thousands and thousands of books, but, you know, 
Hank Aaron is in the you know Baseball Hall of Fame. You know, footnote: Hank Aaron Hall of Famer, page one. You know, <laughs> does that help the article or not? Do we make do we got a point that's made on the featured articles process is sometimes the article you know articles are it, you know so heavily footnoted they become impossible to read. You know, life like any, this like anything else is full of trade offs. Oh, yeah, I mean, you need to use a certain yeah. level of common sense when you're dealing with it. I think, on um, more of a note of what Nuke was talk- talking about, like a, a prod like that, uh, is the idea of having a deletion over the article really actually seems to attract a lot of editors to those pages, usually. And um, it usually uh, actually helps the article get expanded if there's a timeline in which that certain things have to be put on that page. And I'm not saying that uh, we need to force our volunteers to go over here and throw references on this page. But at the same point, if no references can be easily found to source anything or to make this person notable or uh, to make the, it actually worthy to have a biography of them, then it shouldn't be there anyways. So a prod like that would help out in more than one as- aspect of looking at this. It's like apples and oranges, though, to compare the, those two types of problems in terms of, of size. Certainly they're both important. One seems to be very large, and if it's not generating OTRS complaints, well, sometimes we don't know. Maybe there are other complaints about it. But if we actually know of, of something that is long-term and, you know, let's just say um, arguably malicious, I think that that's in a different sort of class. It's kind of hard to, to compare how much harm is done from one to the other. Well, I guess that is a sign that we're ready to move on to our next oh, uh, subject. I was which... muted. I was, uh, yes? I was, uh, I was, ah, okay. <laughs> I thought I was talking. But that okay. brings me back you were, to... you were, in fact, talking, just not to us. <laughs> that brings me back to what I was saying about AFDs is not... As, as Brad was going on to, not exactly going into default to delete. I really don't like that term. I like the term of, I like, really what I like is to see more admin discretion than what some people like to let them use. I mean, right now we're seeing a lot of things going to DRV. Yes, the closes might not be done that well. Like I just sent, uh, I, uh, I closed an article for deletion not too long ago. And it got sent to DRV because I closed it as uh, no consensus to keep default to delete. I really did it just to kind of see what the reaction would be. It wasn't really a mundane close of actually like, okay, there was no consensus to keep. That's why I'm deleting it. Uh, it was more or less to see what the reaction would be. And the reaction was kind of what I expected. Basically, everyone was like, well, it says default to delete. The, the, the thing, though, was on the AFD, there was plenty of discussion uh, there was plenty of consensus leaning on the delete side, and past the bold letters that I had on there, it uh, it did clearly state that I had viewed the delete discussion was much more potent, much more uh, strong, stronger in policy than um, than the keep votes. Will you? And uh, I said that, but some people at the same point they want to they want to hold on to the default to delete, and that in some ways shows me where. Um, the mindset of some of the people is you have to you have to slowly lead them towards this people, process. People look at this, and, the, and I, I think it's well known that policy pages on Wikipedia don't always agree with each other. People who look at this from the point of view of the deletion policy say there's nothing in the deletion policy that says no consensus defaults to delete. People who look at this 
from you, whether it's the beauty page or whether it says, I say, the badly drawn Jeff case, it specifically says contentious material should be kept out until there's a consensus to put it in rather than the other way around. So that may be talking about an aspect of an article rather than the whole article. So there's, it's really a question, and I think it really needs to come down to, you know, why the material is considered problematic, not just that it happens to be a BLP and certainly not, uh, you know, just a matter of, of slogans. What's happened now is that every RFA candidate is being asked, uh, will you close no consensus BLP deletions as delete or keep? And basically they'll get opposes no matter what they write. I'm, I, I've been asking those questions at RFA for uh, a real reason. I mean, it wasn't just to, it wasn't just to get them to ask a, an answer one way or the other. Really, I don't want them to just say that they'll default them to delete, uh, even though that makes me feel a little bit safer than if they just said default to keep. The, my main reason for asking that question is to get a real thought-out answer. It's to get an answer that totally thinks out whichever way they go on exactly why they think that they should act on what their opinion is. The, the main point of it is to make sure that they have a well thought out understanding of the BLP policy. That's all I'm trying to look for when I'm asking those questions. Well, and, if and, I that's, see... and, that, and, that's, and that's admirable, but, but in every instance I've seen, no matter how good an answer somebody gives, they're going to wind up with some opposed votes. Now, having a oh, yes, of yes, definitely. In our oh, definitely. Is not I mean, the end of the world, but uh, that is a side effect to what you're doing. True, and I, I, I kind of expected it to happen. Uh, because you're never going to please either side until we actually get a real good reform, a real good idea here t to give this move some momentum. At the same point, you have to sacrifice something like that every once in a while. Like, I asked one person on RFA the question. They blatantly stated default to delete. And they got at least over 100 supports and maybe eight opposes. And, of course, I would say I think six of the eight opposes were about that question. But at the same point, it's like if they have that much support behind them and they're, they had a vast understanding of the BLP policy, they didn't just say the one-word answer, default to delete. They gave a reason for why they would do it. But, I mean, it showed to me at least they had a, a better understanding, something that feels more safe to me to, for, for me to want them to be an admin. I mean, at the same point, we don't need to chase away every admin, but at the same point, we can't have an admin who doesn't understand this policy, well, in, in my opinion. Well, it doesn't matter whether they, if the admin indicates they're going to be doing closures, then they, it's vitally important they need to understand the policy. If the admin says they're mostly going to do vandalism work, it may not be as crucial. But that gets back to a whole separate question about how you evaluate our candidates. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. So I think it's probably time that we move on to our final topic of the night. Oh, yeah. okay. And that was um, like the request for comment on new users. So, does someone familiar with that want to explain it? And anything that may have resulted? Josenia is indicating that he will. I'll start off, I guess. Garcia New Users is basically people are often will treat new, uh, new, new editors to the extent where it often just drives them away because of something they did not think, not knowing of some policy. I believe, I'm not so hot on the topic, but just the way people treat new editors, I know because I try to avoid this this, this problem, but people over over take things a little too over serious when it comes to people making a bad decision They don't that they didn't understand what they were doing. 
And, well, we start request for comments to see what people are thinking about. Alright, so, the basic gist of it was that there was a request for comment over whether we are too bitey, I guess is the term that's used in our dealings with... Or in with, English, too strict. Yes. With our dealings with new users, with IPs, with people who don't really have a full understanding of how Wikipedia works. And so there were a number of different things that spun out of this of this request for comment. I guess one of the things we could talk about is WPNUT, which is a process where experienced contributors would start a new account and disclose it to ARBCOM and then create a, a, a notable subject, but one that wasn't really formatted to proper uh, like a normal, as an experienced Wikipedian would. So does anyone who participated in that want to discuss further or Well I did one test with that and I was actually pretty impressed because another user who was relatively new himself came by and added an info box and formatted the references and cleaned it up and left me a welcome template. But obviously, it doesn't always happen like that. With regards to the new project, it has generated some controversy because new, new Page Patrol is a tedious task and there are relatively few people doing it. And so, you know, if the experienced Wikipedians are out there creating these poorly formatted articles that do need attention, then that's a strain on the resources. And so I can understand the concerns there. But overall, I think it'd be interesting to hear what other people have to say about whether it's a worthwhile project. For me, the most interesting experience was... Wadwit. Oh, yeah, sorry. I'm user a Wadawit. The most For me, the most interesting experience was the difference in the way I was treated as a new user and how Wiki was or was not explained to me versus how I was treated as a new user initially when I came to Wikipedia so many years ago at this point now. So I created three new articles that had no sources. They just explained three novels um, that I happened to know about. And when I added material to Wikipedia long ago, that was actually the same thing I did. I just added unsourced information because, of course, I didn't know that you were supposed to add sources to it. So actually, somebody came by my talk page many years ago, and they posted this huge, long explanation of how Wikipedia worked and what sources were and why I needed to use them and all of this stuff. And it, I mean, it wasn't like links to policy pages or anything. I mean, it was paragraph after paragraph after paragraph explaining how the encyclopedia worked and I felt like wow someone's really trying to explain this to me whereas now with the articles that I created I just got on one of them actually a tag that said uh, there are supposed to be new there were supposed to be sources the other two no one ever came by and said anything about that and I got a template added to my user talk page saying you know welcome and then links to all these policy pages. And we have so many policy pages, people just really aren't going to read all those. So there's like a huge distinction between 
that initial welcome that I got was like a person actually coming and explaining things to me and the one that I got this time. And I actually think that makes a huge difference. And I personally try when I like delete information from articles that people have added and I go and I try to explain to them in person why I have deleted their information so that they feel like someone is actually responding to what they're they're doing on the encyclopedia, even though it is a deletion. I mean, it's absolutely essential. I, I, we, we, we pride ourselves as a site on our policy of, you know, don't bite the newcomers. Everyone was new once. Everyone made newbie mistakes or, you know, n- nobody came in as a perfect editor. Us, you know, they, they lurked for a long, long time. And, you know, if we drive away the people who are new editors, they will never obviously turn into experienced editors the story i told i i edit i had maybe 20 ip edits before i registered but one of them was to an article of like, something i knew a lot about i made it I, I read the article as a reader i googled something and it came up and i read the article and i saw there was something i knew was wrong so i corrected it and a minute later i was instantly reverted back and i knew i was right so i i reverted it back to my version but this put put in a fairly detailed edit summary explaining why i was right and the change stuck if i'd been reverted with that explanation one more time i probably would have said you know this this anybody can edit model doesn't work and just walked away and that's you know even at the ip level you know dealing with one sentence let alone having an article deleted you know five minutes after you create it or you know having tags slapped all over an article five minutes after you create it we definitely need to be you know more user friendly whether tactically you know having people go out and you know create these new the arbcom was certainly was certainly uh, you know struck by how many people were taking this project you know very seriously we were I, I you know all these users saying you know I've been turned into a newt because the people are supposed to let us know when they're when they're using a sock for a limited period of time for evaluative purposes it probably served a useful purpose i wouldn't recommend people doing it all the time but hopefully we got some good good feedback out of it but you know we we, we don't want to bite the newbies we also don't want to bite the page patrollers i mean if they get disgusted and walk off too we haven't advanced the ball so hopefully we've learned some lessons that we can move on from yeah that's right that what you said was the point I was about to get to was you don't want to fight away the new page patrollers either. I mean, with some respect, I have been I've been looking through the CSD categories, uh, making sure every once in a while that they're being tagged correctly, um, and I'll shoot off a template or a message to the person who tagged the um, page if they tagged it wrong, asking them to you know look over the policy again, you know. But at the same point, we have to make sure that we keep we keep uh, them respected enough to where they to where they feel, you know, welcome on the project just as much as the newbies do. And at the same point, you have to make sure that you welcome the newbies. So I usually, if a if a new person comes onto the site and they create an article and it's not like a vandalistic article or a hoax or anything like that, I'll usually give them a welcome template without any warning whatsoever on their talk page after I delete their article with the hopes that that way they'll look through all that stuff and they'll become a constructive user, but they'll just do it correctly. And I wish more people would do that instead of just always throwing the your article has been thrown up for CSD thing first. Because a lot of times the person could have been perfectly constructive, but we kind of chased them away. 
See, what I think we need is one central location where there's a set of basic, basic, basic instructions that don't have, you know, big abbreviated links to NPOV and to CSD and to, you know, these obscure wiki internal pages. And I think that if we had more concise instructions that were understandable to newbies and to, you know, even experienced users who don't know policies. And I think that would help to reduce poorly formatted pages or otherwise inappropriate creations that violate COI or NPOV or what have you. And I know that some people have tried to do that with the new version of the Article Wizard, Article Wizard 2.0 or whatever. But, I mean, even looking through that, there's still a lot of unnecessary links to internal project pages, and I think it just makes it far too confusing and far too long-winded to read in a single sitting, let alone a single day or a single week. Well, I mean, at the same point, we need to, we need to tell people not to like, create an article about themselves. We also need to nurture them away from doing that, and we need to nurture them towards creating an article on something useful. You know, you need to you know, try to, like, because, like, a lot of people are like, oh, I want to create an article about myself. And you're like, well, let me, let me just kind of try to push you over here. Is this a topic that interests you? Okay, how about you edit it over here? And if, if, if there was a way that we could do that more easily, that would probably actually help out more than anything else. But right now, it's it's hard to get anything like that done. It's hard to help a user across because usually by their fifth day on the site they're being attacked from every side because they have absolutely no idea what they're doing. Well, well that's true. Is... Durova made a point. She said a lot of people have no interest in anything other than an article about their own biography, their business, or something like that, and that's, that's very true. And those are the people that you need to template, block, and we don't need. But at the same point, you need to try to see if you can't run in there, go into the nest, and just pull out and try to nurture some of these newbies that look like they might be interested in something other than themselves. Yeah, I think we need to differentiate between good faith contributors who are genuinely looking to improve the encyclopedia by contributing encyclopedic content, and those that are, as Drova said, just promoting their business or their company or whatever. And I, I think, think I think basically, yeah. yeah, I think we need to basically, I think it needs to be slowed down a little bit. I know it's a speedy deletion process, but I think some people go by it too fastly, and they're not looking at the, they're not actually looking over the pages and actually using their common sense to say, okay, is this a person who looks like they're trying to be useful, or is this some 40-year-old guy who's trying to advertise his product for his boss, which I've actually run into so many times. Like, I've, I've been on IRC, and I've had people come up to me, and they're like, hey, can you undelete this article? My boss wants it undeleted. And like, I had to get to this, I got this huge discussion about this guy who, whose boss wanted an article about him or about his product on Wikipedia, and I had to explain to him about the conflict of interest and all that. And I finally got him to where he understood that he, he couldn't do it. And of course, then he didn't care about the site anymore. But I mean, those, that's where you have to make a distinction. You have to look and you have to say, well, this to me looks like they're just trying to promote something. They're not going to be useful. This to me looks like... Well, yeah, well, and not only that, because work. people also drain the resources and make it more difficult for us to to nurture and to educate the actually useful people. And I think that's yeah. the major issue here. Yeah. 
And Rova said, does it really hurt Wikipedia so much if an article stays around for five or seven days to see whether it can be improved? And I would say, in a lot of the cases, no, it wouldn't hurt. It, in, the, in the ones where it looks like the article might actually have something behind it, no, it doesn't hurt. As long as it's not um, an attack page, it's, it has enough context where you can understand it, maybe, even if it doesn't have a link, it doesn't need a link, why, why can't we wait maybe a day? You know, and now I understand that. I understand that we need uh, this whole thing about the rush because the pages are constantly coming in. But at the same point, we should create some sort of process where that tag can stay up there longer and have a dated. You know, to well, where like there was at this time an automatic a little while ago for a draft namespace, and new articles are created in the draft namespace, and then by some process move to the article space once they're ready. And I think that that's a good idea because it allows for a lot of leeway for... Well, in one, that is a good idea in that it'll screen out some of some of what we don't want in the actual encyclopedia. On yeah. the other hand, we don't want to put up too many barriers in helping someone contribute. It's kind of like the, the flag revisions debate. If you need someone to look over your edits and make sure they're good enough for the main space, well then, will people feel discouraged because they can't just say, okay, edit this page, I created a new article. Well, I mean, we have to decide whether, as a project, we want to continue to be the experiment that we were largely largely created as to see what would happen if a bunch of nobodies could edit pages without any restrictions, or if we want to start focusing on quality control as we mature as a project. And... Uh See, the thing is, I'm we're not already sure we're not that, that experiment level. anymore, anyway. So, well, I we're know, definitely... but I mean, we still have, we still allow for almost anybody to edit almost page, almost any page, and create almost any article. And I think that accounts for a lot of our lower quality content we, that we currently have. It, it does account for a lot of our lower quality content. On the other hand, the only people like ninety percent of Wikipedians. That's just a number I pulled out of thin air. But uh, at the very least, most people who become experienced contributors did so because they edited a couple of times as an IP, or maybe they created an account, but and just made a couple of test edits, fixing a couple of typos here and there. And that's what, it's kind of a hook. It drew them in, and now they edit regularly. But that's great, but you hear about all these experts and these scientists and these doctors, and these are the people that we really need to help improve our quality con or to help improve our content. And most experts don't really believe that Wikipedia is an accurate resource because of the anybody can edit thing. And I think that if we did take some steps to control the quality and the level of edits that can get through immediately. I think that would attract some experts in various fields. Well, but the problem there is that it's a volunteer project, and we have yeah, they're all volunteers. You can't ask them to, we can't force them to uh, extremely strict standards, otherwise they're going to run away. And if we give them too lenient standards, well then it's going to be all chaos. And I, I agree totally with what you're saying there, though, that a lot of professors and, or people that are knowledgeable about these types of topics. Don't don't think that they can edit it because 
of their stuff gets erased immediately by someone who doesn't know what they're talking about. But then that yeah, goes. Yeah, exactly. I've seen those comments way too often. Oh, but actually, that goes, I think that goes back into the speed deletion uh, debate that I was just talking about, where people need to slow down before they revert these edits. The, the oh, issue of, of why experts don't contribute is very complicated, but I don't know if it has much to do with things like vandalism and, and deletion, because you can explain to experts very easily, you know, we have all these tools for vandalism, and we have all these, like, you know, frontline tools for getting rid of, of bad edits to articles, and generally they'll accept that. The problem comes when you tell them nobody on the site will accept that you're an expert. That's irrelevant on the site. It doesn't matter that you're a scientist or a professor, and you cannot enter into an argument and say, oh, but I'm a professor of history. I know this to be true, so therefore we can put it into the article. Because that's how they operate every day. You know, they walk into the classroom or they walk into, you know, a conference and they know something and they say it, and it has authority because of who they are. On the site, that's not at all the case. And you know what would happen if you got into an argument and said, but I know this is true because I have a degree. Oh, yeah. It'd be yeah. a disaster. So it's a totally different <laughs> culture, and, and that's where a lot of the resistance comes from. And of course, I, I have to actually ask the question is, what would be so hurtful in allowing certain people to literally identify themselves as experts on a subject and let them like be like in one of the top areas of a wiki project, not giving them like authority or anything, but like allowing them to have their voice heard a little bit better to where they're not just like run of the mill, just like everyone else, just run down. So it's in other words, to give them a little more well, leverage and yes, exactly, because they know what they're talking about. There well, was actually, such a proposal yeah. a long time ago, actually, something uh, like Wikipedia expert or something like that, and it was like resoundingly defeated. <laughs> Actually, that's what I don't get. I don't understand why that would be defeated, because I, I just literally can't understand the concept of why you would want to not allow someone who's actually an expert on that subject to show their expertise by helping on an encyclopedia. I agree. Well, they, people absolutely can. I mean, I'm a I'm a lawyer and I have an avocation in legal history, and I can, you know, write about anything I want, and I could say, hey, I've got these credentials and these credentials. And that doesn't necessarily mean that my input will be taken as more valuable than anybody else on a, you know, controversial issue. But nothing is stopping me from claiming the credential if I want to. Well, I think one of the things I think there was a, actually a newspaper article about this several days ago. But um, basically, we are an encyclopedia that reports what other reliable sources say, whereas the traditional encyclopedia will report what the experts say. And so there is a big difference to that, and I'm not sure that most people really get that. I don't think someone who's an expert on a subject would have any problem identifying to the foundation in order to be able to literally call themselves an expert on that subject. I wouldn't see them having any problem with that, and well, I personally wouldn't have any problem with that. Well, part of the problem is you have people whose expertise is disputed. You have somebody writing about topic A, and somebody says, well, their degree, yes, they're, let's say it's a scientific topic, yes, they're a scientist, but they're not really a climatologist, they're more well, a yeah, that's, that's what I was getting to when I said they would like identify to the foundation, is they could say, here is my degree, okay? And that way, I want you to say, he is a, he has a freaking PhD in uh, meteorology, and he knows what he's talking about on the subject. So we're okay, going to say that he has... But that's just it, who's qualified to judge their expertise. So let's say, for example, I email the foundation and I, I say, I'm an expert in children's literature. 
my dissertation is on 18th century British children's literature. Does that mean I'm only an expert on 18th century British children's literature? I've taught classes on yeah, yeah. all of children's get literature. Off the, yeah. I mean, what does that yeah, mean? Yeah, well, that's, that's a good point, too. Not, yeah. Not qualified. That's I, a look, good point. The number of instances in which somebody has been, you know, pro, I mean, again, expert retention is a big issue because somebody may have, you know, somebody may be, you know, highly qualified, but if they're posting in a, in a, you know, controversial area, you know, somebody with a different point of view or somebody who disagrees with, you know, the neutrality of what they write is going to change what they wrote, revert them. And a lot of the time the expert says, well, if it's not my way, I'm, you know, it, it's not for me. And some of these people, you know, we should be making a, a higher effort to retain. And some of them, and some of them, frankly, you know, in their area of expertise may not be suited for the wiki model because they do feel so strongly about what they have to say. And maybe they should be, you know, contributing in a, you know, a different topic area. Everything depends on the, on the individual. But I don't think that, you know, if somebody is going to revert edits because they think they're not neutral or they think they're not accurate, you know, being told that, you know, this person has a, a PhD isn't necessarily going to, you know, help. Then the question comes, you know, the, you know, an administrator comes along to, to resolve the edit war or a third or fourth editor comes to issue a third opinion or to try to stabilize the article and they're trying to determine which version to go with. Does the version that the expert proposed, you know, should the version that the expert, you know, wrote have a presumption of greater accuracy? Maybe, maybe not. But, you know, generally if the person says, hey, I have this, this expertise, you know, in our atmosphere of assumed good faith, I think most people would claim, would, would assume, unless it's proved otherwise, that people have the the academic expertise or the credentials they claim to have, despite one or two very highly publicized incidents a couple of years ago, where somebody had, you know, falsely came credentials. I don't think that really happens much. I think people, you know, we do assume good faith, and if I write that, you know, you know what I... You know, not that I've done this actually, but if I write that you know my contributions on on the Supreme Court, you know the history of the Supreme Court should be given you know respect because I published an article about it. I don't think anyone anyone's going to say you know ha ha you might just be making that up. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Definitely. I mean, of course, then again, that calls into that calls into the debate of whether or not people would assume good faith. Hopefully, they would. But then you have to understand that you do have the contributors that think that they're such prolific contributors that it doesn't matter whether or not someone else said something that they can go ahead and they can just just pretend that they didn't say it. All right. I mean, you um, have to... Breaking in for a moment, Mitch well, Asenio has something to say. But first you have to explain your expertise and what you're about to say. So <laughs> yeah, we need your sources. Actually, I remember at the last New York City meet, we, one of the users, the editors there, mentioned the site Citizendium. Citizendium actually requires you to, one, identify yourself, and two, most of them try to show it in their own expertise because that's how it's open for use, is to show people who actually have the expertise to actually edit, which is, I think, um, the supporting side of the situation. I have a question about Citizendium, actually. Do they require that you have at least... To my knowledge, at least a bachelor's degree. No, I don't think they require it at all. But they, they, they do require you to tell you who you are. And I think they have oh. an age minimum. I proposed something we were discussing earlier. I believe right. so. Yeah. 
I thought I'd bring it up because um, it's saying, because it's saying it's the exact opposite <coughs> of what we're trying to discuss here. It's actually doing the right thing. That was the line. That was along the lines of what I was thinking, except just not doing it in the extremely extreme done that Sinem did. I'd like to do it as in, it's it it's a it's a piece of something on your user page. It says this person is an expert on this topic, um, but not that they just have oh I can just say whatever I want to about the topic. Just that they have uh, more of a word behind them, more of a uh, right. more verifi- verifiability. All right. So. Okay. Thank you everyone for coming. Everybody, this is Derova, and uh, let's see here. We'll start out with Sen is AFK right now. Okay, Blurpiece, so anything you'd like to say? I think he's gone too. Look at th- these people just drop away from us. All right, Coffee, yeah. you're up next. He's here. Uh, he's- oh, oh, well, so everyone, I'm now going to say good night. Have a wonderful night and a Merry Christmas. <laughs> okay, New York Brad? <laughs> New York Brad is going to be uncharacteristically speechless. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, thank you all for having me. Thank you very much for coming. All right, Julian. Thank you and happy holidays. Eyeshadow? No. She's typing. Eyeshadow is typing. First of all, I'm going to read off lore pieces before he screams. He said Merry Christmas for everyone. And for Eyeshadow, Merry Christmas along with Jimmy Wales. <laughs> and anyway, from my end of the situation... Anyone have a, mer- a happy Hanukkah, a Merry Christmas, forget the perfectly correct police, and have a good night. Alright, for myself, nuclear warfare. A bit more downtrodden than you are all. I just hope we can find some way to resolve all these issues. <laughs> Alright, good night, all. Alright, goodbye, everyone.